thankful for your blood so that we can come in this place and whether we have a moment of praise for you or a moment of just pleading for you to move God nothing changes in our status because your blood is secure it's been applied to our hearts and we can stand affirmed as sons and daughters of a living God not because of anything we've done, but because of the finished work of Jesus. That's where we find our confidence and our hope here this morning. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we're excited. Come on up, Bob. Come on up. Just sit down the whole service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel that too at lunch most Sundays. We are so glad that Bob and Kathy could be with us. Uh, in fact, they have, we have some very familiar faces that have come to support, probably just listen to you again. So that's confident that people still wanted to hear you speak after you um, resigned. But uh, we've made mention, I think last week, almost 30 years across town. I've uh, been my pastor since I was a little kid and uh, took me on in 99. I believe, to be his youth pastor, and um, it was almost 10 good years. I, it wasn't quite 10, so I wasn't saying some were bad years. I'm just saying I was there for almost a decade and uh, ate a lot of meals around the table with Bob and Kathy. Um, they're just good people, and he's a very faithful pastor and preacher. I'm glad he could be here for the first time to meet you all, and so be gracious this morning, all right? Lean in and listen to what God has to say through his word. Thanks, Bob. Hey, Amen. Bless your heart, buddy. Uh, let's clear the table here. Got water, got a phone. Is that all your stuff? <laughs> uh, good to be with the Journey Church. Look at here. I believe wherever I go, God's with me. The Spirit of God abides with inside of me. That's not special just to me. That's special to anybody who's a child of the King. Divine presence is with you wherever you go. He'll never leave. He never forsakes. But there are places that you go, you don't sense the presence of God because God is not pleased about some things. And so <laughs> you kind of hurry on through and get through those situations. I always am blessed when I go to a place and you can sense the presence of God. And I've sensed that here this morning. And uh, I see some other nodding heads, so I'm not the only other one that feels that. If you're not sensing the presence of God, you have to just kind of get your mind on him. And that's what, that's what makes God's presence very real. When you can get your mind off the world, that's the purpose of finding a closet to pray in. Get your mind off the world. Get it on the things of a God. And the more you think about God, the more he will put his thoughts into your thoughts. Matter of fact, there are several verses in the Bible. They are called trigger verses. I refer to them as trigger verses. And they require actions on your part in order for God to do an action. Now, God has taken the first step towards you and me. He loved us when we did not love him. He's done a lot of things for us before we ever did anything for him. But once saved, there are some trigger verses. Let me give you one of them. See, if you know this verse, draw nigh to God and what? 
Let's get that a little bit louder. Draw nigh to God and he'll do what? He will draw nigh to you. The, the step is on your part. He's done everything he could to open up a relationship, a fellowship between heaven and earth, and between God, our creator, our maker, and us who were once sinners. He gives mercy. He gives a grace that you so wonderfully sung about this morning, and he has supplied that blood. And if I have had a song that just fits my sermon, that last one that Andy did, fits what I want to preach on this morning. He has supplied the blood. But he requires for you to take a step. One day years ago at the church that uh, Rick was raised in, Twin Oaks, that I had a chance to be in, that his dad is a charter member of down at Twin Oaks down in Fredericktown, I took a step out. God had been drawn, trying to draw me near to him for a long time, but I took a step out, and I went to the altar down at Twin Oaks. I gave my heart to Jesus. You know what? I, knew, I drew nigh to God. You know what? God got real close. <laughs> he got very close to me, and I was happy and excited about that. I did not know. By the way, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, if you got your Bibles. I did not know when we come to Journey Church, and I uh, am happy to see everybody that's here. I thought most of you would not know, but it turns out that we've known a lot of people. Uh, matter of fact, uh, we go back a long ways with some of you here with Jill that uh, was playing uh, uh, on the uh, uh, piano or whatever you call that thing over there. Uh, go back with her dad and her stepdad, or not her stepdad, her grandpa. Uh, down in Fredericktown, of course, Rick and Andy's family. There is, there is a lot of history just within this church right here. If you go back in the genealogies of the past towards the uh, moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas, aunts and uncles and cousins, there is a lot of history. Joe Pertle covers a lot of history, Craig, doesn't he? He goes back a lot of ways. I used to, when I first became the pastor at Twin Oaks Church back in 1983, and Joe was a deacon, Rick's dad, and uh, he would come up and open the doors on Sunday, and of course I was cramming, trying to study, and he'd be talking, and I'd finally say, Joe, I need to... I need, to, I need to study a little bit. Oh, okay, preacher. And, and he go. He said, I'm going to go downstairs and pray. And uh, I said, okay. And so I'd go to studying, and Joe would go downstairs and pray. Joe wouldn't pray just kneeling. He couldn't do that. He would have to stand up and walk around, and he'd run into the chairs downstairs and fall over them and bang around. And, and all this time, oh, God, bless that preacher up there. Help him today, Lord. You can't study like that. And I'd, I'd get her conviction. I'd fall down my knees. I said, man, he's praying harder for me than I have. And uh, there is some rich history. I wish I had time to go back over a lot of it. I'm not because we're here to get into the word of God. But I appreciate the opportunity that Rick has given me to preach to the Journey Church. We are for the Journey Church. I don't care. I don't care if you call it a gathering, a church, a body of believers. My brother had a massive stroke uh, about 20 years ago, I guess, and it's left him to where he can't go to church because he can't be around crowds. It just, it just has done something to his system. He can't handle noise. You know what? Uh, he has set up a little church in his basement. Him and his wife gather and meet and, and worship the Lord every morning. He's got a few chairs set out, maybe a handful of people every now and then, a neighbor or somebody has stopped by. All it says is, Jesus said, where two or three are 
There he said, I'm in the midst of that group of people, and I'm glad the Lord is here this morning. I want to preach to you this morning about that blood that was shed in, my, in Hebrews chapter 10. Great, great book in the Bible. They're all good books, but I'll just in my own personal opinion, I don't know that there's a book in the Bible that takes you to scriptures unknown, shines light on them, and draws you into a deeper understanding. Now, keep in mind something. What you know about Jesus today, you do not know everything about Jesus. You and I know in part. We're learning about him as we go along. We don't know everything we are to know about God. I've been preaching from this book for 50 years nearly, and I tell you, I don't know everything in this book. I'm discovering it as I go along. It, the, the, uh, the, the depths and the, and the heights that it can take you to is an amazing thing. I want to take you just a little bit deeper in, in the writer in Hebrews. But let me just kind of back up here just for a second. I'm going to read from chapter 8. Chapter 8's got a couple verses in it that will help lay this foundation. Verse 10, it says this, and part of it says, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. He says, I'm going to put my laws, my word, in their heart so that I can be to them a God. This is important that we understand this. Did you know you have as much access to God as anybody who walks on the face of the earth? You have as much power in prayer. You have as much of the ear of Almighty God. If Jesus is your Savior, you have as much of him as anybody that walks on the face of the earth. If Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you ask anything in his name, he will do it. That's the way it's set up. Here we have the, the crucifixion. Jesus has been crucified, and now he's been in the tomb. And on the third day, he has told everybody he's going to rise from the grave, except this. The problem is nobody believes that. Not even the ones, his disciples, he has taught that to. There's a group of women who show up on the third day to anoint his body. One of them hangs around by the name of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is a woman we don't know a lot about in the Bible, but we do know this. Jesus cast seven devils out of her. I used to pray that God would just cast one out of Rick years ago. <laughs> just one. Tell, I will tell this story. I had my first year at youth camp down in Fredericktown. We had a camp that, uh, that we had started up, and uh, I didn't get to go the first year, but the second year I did, and I got to volunteer to be a sponsor down there with the kids, and I, didn't, I said, I'll take whatever group you give me. And they give me my son, who was, I think, seven years old at the time, Rick, probably the same age at the time, and there was another group of boys that we just had, and I had them for a week down at youth camp. It liked to ruin my faith in God. The more I prayed, the worse they got. In fact, I'll, this is true. I'm, I am not exaggerating. Whenever Rick's dad, Joe, got there that, that uh, Friday, I think it was, or Saturday. I think we left on Saturday morning back then, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he showed up there on top of the hill where we was at, and I went up to Joe, and I told him, I said, I want you to know something. Rick is not saved. He's not ever going to be saved. It's impossible for him to be saved. Emotions can make you say wrong things, <laughs> and I was wrong with that. But that was, just, that was just back then. I don't even know why I said that. But, oh, I was talking about Mary Magdalene. Seven demons got cast out of her. 
And so Jesus, to make a long story short, he tells her at the resurrection, she wants to run up and hug him as anybody would. This is her master. And he says, touch me not. And here's the reason why. He said, I ascend to my father. And then he says this, and to your father. Now get that. I'm ascended to my father. Now the father God in the Old Testament could never be touched. You couldn't look upon his face and live. He was out of touch. He was, he was somebody that, that was, we understood was to be God, or they understood him to be God, but you could not come. When he come down on Mount Sinai that day and the children of Israel had come out of Egypt and went through the Red Sea, and now they're coming to approach the God who had delivered them, they are told that nobody is to go up on that mountain, but Moses, they actually tell Moses, you go talk to him, we'll stay down here. They're afraid to go up there. Even if a bird was to fall upon that mountain, it was going to die. He was untouchable. But then we get to the New Testament and we find out he can be touched. And Mary holds the Son of God in her arms. Simeon picks him up in the temple and says, now I've seen the salvation of the Lord. He would pick up children himself. He'd touch the eyes of the blinded or he would hold a child and say, suffer the little children to come on me. He can be touched. But now all of a sudden he tells Mary, I cannot, don't touch me. But he says, I'm going, I'm ascending to my father and to your father. Then he says this, and to my God and to your God. Isn't it good to know that we can cry, Abba, Father. Our Father which art in heaven. That's how we start our prayers. Hallowed be thy name. You have a relationship with him because of what Christ has done. Now, there was an old preacher from the hills of North Carolina that we used to know years ago. Rick, I don't know if Rick would remember him. He preached the revivals at Twin Oaks on several occasions. He had an old saying. He had a way of saying it. This is not exactly, but he would say it something like this. Good, better, and best. Never let it rest until your good is better and your better is best. And that uh, he would say that every sermon. And I went to preach for a revival for him in North Carolina, and I went to eat in his house. And his kids, the grandkids, were walking around. And after Grandpa was out of the out of the room, and there was the grandkids, they was going around saying, "Good, better, and best. Never let it rest until your good is better and your better is best." I thought they was mocking him. I thought that's what they was doing. And I was saying something to his son who came in later on. I said, boy, they, they, these kids of yours got your, their grandpa saying down now, Pat, he said, that is serious to them. He has driven that in our hearts and into theirs. And all he's teaching them is says, let God improve your life. Let God improve, never settle. You know, people, people will make a statement every now and they'll say, you know, this is as good as it gets. That is seldom seldom if ever right i thought it was as good as get the day i got saved i found out it gets better does being saved get sweeter as the days go by absolutely the more you learn about him the more you draw nigh to god you find out he starts drawing nigh to you and it's a wonderful experience they say reach for the stars look here here on this earth you and i will never reach the the heights of the glory of god Matter of fact, John would put it this way. He said, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when he appears, <laughs> then we shall be known even as we are known. We will experience it. Now, the verse 
the scripture that, that we had and it was in the song is that we'll be complete in him on that day. Actually, Philippians says in Christ Jesus, we are complete today. I'm as completely saved as I can ever be in my life. I cannot get more saved than what I am. If you're washed in the blood of the lamb, you cannot get more pure than what you are. But I'm learning what that means. I'm learning what those experiences are. So I grow in the mercy and the grace of God until you reach maturity, much like a child grows. God puts his laws in their hearts. Here's this verse of scripture. Verse 12 of chapter 8 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. You know how you and I are incapable of doing that? I have things in my mind today of things I've done wrong years ago that I'm longing for the day when God takes me home so I won't have to remember them anymore. People I've hurt, sins I've committed against my God. Even though I've been forgiven of them, I, I, I have a hard time getting them out and not remember them. I have a hard time not remembering sins that people commit against me wrongs that are done against me. But God says, our sins, our iniquities, he will remember no more. An old song you written years ago was when a person came to the Lord and started confessing their sins, and the writer, writer of the song says, what sins are you talking about, including the voice of God in that? Well, let's see how this takes place. Chapter 10. Our creator God is better than ever in every way, folks. He is just better. And I wanted, to, I wanted to read this verse of Scripture, so I'm a little ahead of myself. Let me read a verse of Scripture. This is how blessed preachers like me and Rick are, Craig. Ephesians 3 and 8 and 9, this is us. Here's what we get to do. And if you're a witness for him, you get to do the same thing. Paul is speaking. He says, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints. He's speaking about, we consider him to be the greatest of all saints. But he says, I'm the least less than the least of all saints. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? I'm going to preach to you something this morning that's unsearchable. In other words, you cannot get to the depths of. I'm going to just put a little bit of it out. He makes this statement. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Because in the Old Testament, all the gospel was a mystery to everybody. Nobody understood the message of the, of the cross. Nobody knew anything about it. All they were getting down in the Old Testament was a God, a creator God, revealing who he was. He would lay out Ten Commandments. They would have basically three, three points to the Ten Commandments. Here's what they are. God declares who he is. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. God is telling Israel who he is. One of the problems in modern times that we live in is that we're trying to make God in our image. Ooh, boy, you don't, don't even mess with that. And so he says, thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. Don't you even use my name in vain. That's the first three commandments. Then he takes the second one, the fourth, and he says, this needs to be how you accept it, and this is how you need to apply it to your life. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Keep me holy in front of you at all times. 
And then he goes into the rest of them that deal with behavior about thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, and things like that. All God is doing with those Ten Commandments is revealing who he is. And when God reveals who he is, you and I get smaller and smaller and smaller. When, we, when God reveals how holy and righteous he is, you and I become more sinful, more sinful, more sinful. One of the hardest things for people to do in today's world is admit they're sinners. Now, the Bible says, what's Romans 3.23 say? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet people will argue that. They'll dispute that. They'll say, you know, say, I had, uh, I had uh, one couple in my church one time. They were in serious conditions. There's some tragic things that happened, and, and uh, they came to me for some counseling. And, and so I'm going over the man who done most of the things wrong. I'm telling him what, what evil he's done, and she's over there saying, yeah, he's, he was like that. That's what he is. I need to talk to him, preacher, get him straightened out. And I, and, I look, and I told him, I said, you're not a good man. He said, no, I'm not a good man. And I looked at her, and I said, are you good? She said, well, of course I'm good. I said, well, no, you're not. And she got mad at me. They got, they got up and left. And they're driving down the road, and she said, I'll never go back to see Bob Tebow again ever for counseling. Why? Because he said I wasn't good. No, he, he just asked you if you thought you're the one who said you was good. He asked her, he said, are you good? He, she said, well, no. He said, well, why did you get mad? She said, well, let's go back and talk to him. That's how it works. There's none good that doeth righteousness upon the face of the earth. None. We've all sinned. Now, look here. Admit that. Get that taken care of first. And if you don't, if, for those who don't understand it today, they will understand it in his presence, how holy and righteous he is. Even the righteous people of God, when they see this glorious Christ, John on the Isle of Patmos, falls down like a dead man. But what do you do about the behavior? Well, God in the Old Testament gave some laws. Again, there's the Ten Commandments, but there was a lot of other laws. God made a way for us in order to be saved. And so God started giving these laws, and they, these, here's the sacrifices. You take a blood, you, you know how they came out of Egypt, that, that, that even the death angel's coming down, and they're taking a lamb now, and they slaughter the lamb, and they take the blood and put it on the doorpost. And wherever, the, wherever that death angel came down and saw the blood on the doorpost, he passed over. And we've sung a lot of songs about that down through the years that talks about the Passover, how when he sees the blood, he passes over you and me. That's the song that Andy just sung. That's the basis for that song. The blood shed, life given. But the thing about that law is it couldn't fix nothing. Let's read this. Let me get to the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of things. The law was a shadow. Hey, does a shadow have any power? My grandkids still yet, they'll, they'll, they'll see the shadow and they want to punch with the shadow and they'll hit me with the shadow and there's nothing to it until they miss the shadow and hit me. Then it's something different. A shadow has nothing. It's just blocking the light. That's all it's doing. All the law could do, look at what he says, the law having a shadow of good things to come. Now, there was good things coming, but the law was not revealing those good things, just a little shadow of it at the time. 
He goes on down and says this, and not the very image of the things that can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. The law had a problem. People were coming constantly, bringing lambs and sacrifices. Here would, be, here would be the illustration. They had the Old Testament tabernacle, and here comes a guy. He's got his unblemished lamb. The lamb hasn't done anything wrong. The lamb is not even willing in the sacrifice, and he's brought, and he brings to, the, to that, uh, uh, that first uh, veil that you go through the, uh, to the outer court, and he comes in, and there's that altar, and there's that lamb is slayed upon the four corners of that altar. His blood is shed. His screams are heard and the blood goes over everybody so they have to go to the brazen altar and begin to wash that blood off and the priest will take that blood and sprinkle it and so on and so on. Thing of it is, the blood of that lamb could cleanse nobody and make them perfect. In order to be in front of God, you and I have to be perfect. Boy, that's a hard task. You know anybody Perfect. Look here, my wife loves me perfectly. She acts like she don't love me sometimes. She is imperfect in her love. And it don't take much to get her there. And it don't take much me to, look here, I can, it, it's amazing. If I lose my glasses, it must be her fault. I have a dying love for her, but it's not a perfect love. Look here, you and I, everything we do, there is imperfection in it because that's our nature, what we are. So the people that came there, they would leave and say, you know what? We've got to do this all over again next year. Why? Because you're going to sin, I'm going to sin. We're going to sin against God. He's got these laws. We love his laws. They show us how we ought to be. They tell us what we ought to do, but we can't do what they tell us. In fact, in fact, they make us want to disobey him. Paul would speak about that in the book of Romans chapter 10. He said, when the law came, it revived the sin that was in him. Do you know the first word kids learn that they hate? There's a word kids hate. It's one of the first words they learn. What is it? No. They hate it. They hate the word no. My oldest son, Farron, didn't like it when he was young. He don't like it today. The only time he likes it is when he tells it to his own kids. It has a different sound. Nobody, no, what is it about the word no? Even if you're trying to save them, if you're trying to deliver them something, you're trying to help them, they, the minute you say no, uh, a spirit of rebellion sets in on a child. The law does that to you and I. We don't be like we don't like being told we can't, do we? We don't like being told we shouldn't. Even by God. That's just our nature. And so the law had this ability to reveal who God was, but it had this inability to supply anything to make us like God. Revealer, it was that. It revealed our sins. Supplier, nothing. And so God would have to do something. And by the way, even God didn't like it. Look here. Let's read this verse of Scripture. Let's read on down. Chapter 1, 
The law having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they have ceased being offered because that the worshipers once purged, see the law could not purge or cleanse anybody, should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is remembrance again made of sins every year. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh unto the world, he says, sacrifice of offering thou wouldest not but a body hast thou per prayer notice verse 6 in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure God didn't enjoy them either I mean, during the days of Solomon when they de dedicated that temple and they were bringing in bulls and goats and doves and everything, just they said the blood from the uh, sacrifices was so heavy it ran like a river down the river Kedron. But all those bloody animals, all those poor animals, wasn't doing a thing to change anybody. Solomon, the wisest man on earth, would turn just as wicked as anybody else. It couldn't change them. It didn't purge men from their sins. It didn't clear their conscience, and it never will today. We look at the Old Testament laws. Let me bring a parallel here just real quick. We look at the Old Testament law sacrifices. You and I don't, none of us believe in killing bulls. We're, we're not going to, when's the last time we've had a bull killed in DeSoto to cleanse anybody from their sins? A dove. We don't do that, but we do believe in good works. Somehow or another, if we live good enough, if we pray, let me ask you, how long do you have to pray to please God? Has anybody got an answer to that? There's no answer. Matter of fact, short prayers can be as pleasing to God as long. Matter of fact, Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 rebuked long, vain prayers. Much speaking does not impress God. But with a lot of people, there people impressed, so God must be impressed. He's not impressed with your talent. Is talented people, gifted people more loved by God? then people are not talent. Thank God, because I've got everything I've got is average. I'm not great in anything. It's, uh, I have to be honest with this. It's always burnt me a little bit, because Rick's mom and dad don't sing, don't play. Good Christians, but they didn't do any of that, and he, could, he gets all this talent. Me and Farron used to look at Ben, why him? How come he can hit the high notes? How come he can pick something on a guitar? You know he plays a banjo. God, why'd you give him that talent? Give it to me. I'll use it. <laughs> this level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter how much money. Some people are impressed by, by how somebody gives. Well, they give. Look here, Jesus is impressed by the woman who put her two mites in. So it didn't change anybody, and it didn't please God. That's a problem. So Jesus takes over, and Jesus starts talking. This is prophecy in Old Testament, but Jesus is talking. Look at verse 6. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Somebody's talking here. Thou, somebody's talking to thou. The thou here is God, the Father. In verse 7, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, and it is written, who's I? That's Jesus. 
It's an Old Testament prophecy. It's a mystery. It's hidden, the things of God. I'm getting to preach it to you today. And if you study it yourself, you'll get to learn it today, what they did not know back then and couldn't know. David, Moses, none of them understood completely what you and I know today about Jesus. He said, above and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said I, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Here's what separates Jesus from everybody that's ever walked upon the face of the earth. Nobody, day in and day out, ever lived just to do God's will. Nobody. We live, even as Christians, we love the Lord. We want to do his will, amen? We still find ourselves doing our will. Yeah, let's be honest. We want to do as well. We come short. But there's one who came. He said, I come to do thy will. In fact, Jesus would even go further than that. He said, my meat is to do the will of God. What feeds me, what gives me nourishment, what satisfies me is to do things that pleases the Father. So he said, I always do those things that please the Father. And so the Father looks down and he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well, what? Pleased. Oh, I long for Jesus to look down upon me and hear the Father's voice say, well pleased, well pleased. This is, the, this is why Jesus' sacrifice will be so much different than the goats and the blood of animals. They were not willing you never, look here, I've been to a lot of slaughtering in my day. One of the most horrifying my, memories in my mind is when I was a little boy and they was having a hog slaughtering. I, look here, I made pets out of them. Me and my brothers used to, you ever ride a hog? Ooh. John Wayne never rode a bucking horse like a hog. They will kick you. They will start. They, they just, they'll take you. It's fun. And I'm watching one day and these guys show up and all of a sudden one of them shoots one in between the eyes. I hate, maybe this is a little tough, but then he jumped over the fence with a knife and stuck it in its throat and the blood came up like a fountain and I'm sicker than a dog. Crying, oh, they killed my. Animals are never willing to die. Nobody. But Jesus was willing. Here's we got this great verse. Listen to me. Listen to this. Don't, don't miss this. The Bible says in John chapter 13, verse 1, not an exact quote, but he says, knowing that his time had come. In other words, knowing that why he came here to earth for, he didn't come to walk on water. He didn't come to feed 5,000 people with some fish, a little fish and bread. He didn't come just to heal somebody's blinded eyes, and he didn't come just to stand in the temple. Those were certain aspects of his come, certain things he needed to do to fulfill the will of the Father, but he came to be crucified for your sins and mine and shed his blood willingly. Now, he took care of this in Gethsemane. He prays in Gethsemane very hard. Gethsemane prays if there be any other way. Let this cup pass from me. But then he ends it by saying this, nevertheless, not my will, but what? Thy will be done. By the way, folks, that is perfection. When you are doing God's 
will the way God wants you to with the equipment God's given you, that's perfection. You and I are never perfect in everything we do for that reason. We are made perfect by the blood of the one who did everything perfect. That's how it goes. And so he says, I come to do thy will. Now, I'm not, you get out in about 10 minutes, 11.30. Ooh. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've still got about 12 verses to go. Let's get to the good part, and we're going to wind this up. Have you got the picture now? The law didn't please man, and it didn't please God. It couldn't satisfy man. It couldn't satisfy God. God needed something else, so God gave in the Old Testament. It's a more major term in the Old Testament than the New. Mercy is a bigger term in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament. Did you know that? Mercy is this. Mercy is punishment deferred. It means you don't get your Somebody said, oh, I want justice. Not from God, you don't. <laughs> I'll guarantee you. No, you want him to defer. And so God gives mercy, but mercy leaves no blessing. It's just no punishment. That's all it is. Thank God for mercy. We sang about it. But it's a bigger word because there was not much grace in the Old Testament. Grace became a bigger word in the New Testament than it did in the Old Testament. Now, you'll read it a lot of times, but it's used in between individuals. As far as, I mean, you find a few, Noah found what in the eyes of the Lord? He found grace. He found, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, he's going to be blessed, not because he deserved it. Now, when we get over to the New Testament, grace becomes this mighty word because what Jesus did with his blood, he fulfilled the law that didn't satisfy us, that had to be satisfied. He satisfied it and pleased the Father completely. He shed his life's blood at the cross of Calvary. Then he went to the tomb. He died, giving up the ghost. He's in the tomb now, right? And so in the tomb, three days later, he's there, and Mary finds him, and he says, Touch me not here. I'm going to my Father, your Father, my God, your God. I'm ascending, and he ascends back to the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father to do what? To intercede for you and me. You know who's praying for you? Every now and then, Kathy, somebody, I'm talking to Kathy back here. There's another Kathy in here. Every now and then, uh, somebody will say, Brother Bob, I, I want you to pray for me. I, I'm glad to do that. I wanna, we should pray for one another, shouldn't we? That's good. But let me tell you something. I tell them, so do you know something? You have power with God. Oh, no, no, Brother Bob, I, I believe in your prayers. That's fine, but because I have no way to get to the Father God other than you, same way, Jesus. These, uh, okay, Bob, I got to remember, I'm not the pastor, so I got to kind of hold myself in here just a little bit. I let Rick tackle all the tough stuff. But let me just say this, folks. When these guys on TV are offering up their prayers for money, turn them off. The blood was shed, and it is such an outrageous thing to do. I remember going to a church when I was a kid, and you had to go light a candle to get a special prayer prayed for God for somebody who was sick, and you couldn't light the candle until you gave the money. When the blood is shed, the price is paid. He sits, he ever lives to intercede. And we ask things in his name because what the father is answering is not my prayers. He's answering the request of his son. 
who is our Savior and our shepherd and our dearest friend. We love him more and more. Here's what it says. I've got to close. He says, this is what he says. Verse 10. Let's pick it up. I'm going to read on down. By the which will, we are sanctified. The will of the Father, sanctified because the Son fulfilled the will of the Father through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering some tough times same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That's going on today. On a day like this, that's happening in some churches across the world. But this man, after he had this man, now who's this man? That's Jesus. That's our Jesus. This man, our Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, ever sat down at the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies became his footstools. That was a divine promise from Psalms 110 in the Bible. Jesus referred to, Hebrews refers to it. The Lord, the Father God, said to my Lord, Jesus the Son, come thou, sit thou on my right hand until I make all mine enemies thine footstools. My enemies... Thank God, are under the feet of Jesus. <laughs> They're under the feet of Jesus. I can pass through the valley of shadow death and fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy they comfort me. He makes a statement here. We're done. This is the point I want to get to, folks. This is a major point. Okay, this is what the law couldn't do. That was a shadow, wasn't the very image. This is what God did do. He gave his son, having loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There's nobody you will ever meet that's not savable. There's no child so wayward they're not winnable. There is no prayer that cannot be prayed that's not answerable. He is able to do, according to Ephesians chapter 3, above and beyond what you and I are even able to think or even ask. It's an amazing statement. And so he said, based on what the law couldn't do, but what Jesus did do, and now he's your Savior, here's what he says. He says in verse 17, their sins and iniquities, while I remember them there no more, now where remission of these are, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, here's what he says for you and me to do. Let us draw near. <laughs> now, what happens if you draw near to God? What will God do? Yeah. How can you draw near to God? I mean, you've been an idiot this week. Look here. I cannot drive down Main Street of DeSoto without being an idiot. It's impossible. I'm a stop sign there's ever been at the end of town where the railroad tracks are, and I get mad every, nearly every time I go through it. Yeah, she's waving. She's praising the Lord this morning because I've omitted it. <laughs> so there I am. So I come to God, this idiot, this sinner, and I'm overwhelmed. I'm at the cross, though. Now, I want you to let's get this real close. I never go to God in prayer without visiting the cross first. That's where the blood was shed. I am a sinner. I have no right to enter into the holiest of holies. But by the blood of the Lamb, I can. Those sins are I leave at the cross. I don't take them any further. I, I never forget them. 
but I don't let them hold me back. You know what I do? I move to the tomb. There's victory over those sins. <laughs> There's victory over death, the spiritual death. And so now, where am I at? I'm no longer at the cross. I'll never forget it. I'll never leave it. I will always sing about it. I'm not sticking around. Until, I'm not looking for the body of Christ because you know what? I know where he is. Where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and me, making requests. So what are you and I do? Let's draw near. Hey, let's get close to God. This is Sunday morning. Rick Pirtle, Andy's up here. My lands. Brad Chapman, every time he beat them drums, I'd jump a foot in the air. <laughs> I, I get used to him, but the first one, bang! Well, that's, that's being in the presence of God. This is what we do on Sunday. We do what we ought to do all the time during the week. We come into his presence. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies with the pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Don't ever doubt. We've heard several testimonies here this morning of people. What was the one about the wreck? Why? That's the first question that pops in your mind every time. Why did you let this happen, God? You know, God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? says, let us consider one another. We're going to have a little verse of invitation. Piano player, song leader, whatever you want to do. Jill, Andy and him. It's just a chance to pray. There are people I meet and they tell me, say, I don't think God can save me. Folks, I've dealt with people who have murdered people. You know what? God can save them. I've been in the prisons down here, Potosi, other places. I've dealt with people who've raped children. There are some sins in my mind that are worse than others. In my mind, they're worse than others. And the violating of a young child's body is about as low as it gets. But I can look them in the eye and say the blood of Christ can cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. And not only that, it not only cleanses you, you know what it'll do? It'll change you. It changes us from the person that we are into a new creature in Jesus Christ until we claim the verse of Scripture, Craig, that says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand spanking new. But you've got to come. You've got to get to know him. Rick, you take over. Mm -hmm.